in the hills of Happy Valley, Oregon, welcome to Until We Meet Again, brought to you by the kind support of Cornerstone Funeral Services in Boring, Oregon, Historic Columbian Cemetery in Portland, Oregon, and friends like you. I'm Elizabeth Fournier. This radio broadcast is an expression of our common ground of mortality, because after all, we are all in this together. Today's reading is edited and adapted from the writing of Opus Dei Father Paulo Callahan, an expert on church teaching about end-of-life questions, and a professor at Rom's Pontifical University in the Holy Cross. Christians recognize in all humility that the body has to go back to where it came from. It goes back to the earth. Human and humility both come from the Latin word humus, meaning earth. Therefore, the authentic Christian practice is burial, followed by natural decay. Because burial is important as a symbol of faith in the resurrection and also the dignity of the human body and the integral part it plays in a person's identity, natural burial can be an expression of profound reverence for the body and the sacredness of life, a deep respect for the integrity of creation and God's good earth, and of course it emulates the most famous burial of all, that of Jesus wrapped in a shroud and buried in a rock tomb. My guest today is Ed Bixby, owner and operator since 2007 of Steelman Town Cemetery Green Burial Preserve in New Jersey, Parissima Natural Burial Ground in Half Moon Bay, California, and Westwood Cemetery in Lassen County, California. He has also newly acquired Historic Columbian Cemetery in Portland, Oregon. Ed, I love to refer to you as a modern-day green saint because of your calling to your life of green burial. I know I've called you that before and it's made you laugh. I think you have such a gift bestowed to you that you really turn these lovely places for families to honor their loved one with a natural burial. And I think you really are a key figure in the natural burial movement. So you were a real estate broker and a land developer by trade. And then when you learned that the cemetery where your brother was buried had fallen into disrepair, you decided to buy it. I, I find that story so fascinating. Yes, thanks, Elizabeth. Thanks for having me. Uh, absolutely. I mean, uh, at the time, you know, I was just a, a concerned family member, you know, that uh, really wanted someone to do the right thing and, and clean up the cemetery and and show some respect to that sacred ground. And uh, I was given a very unique opportunity. I was I was offered the cemetery uh, basically for free because the individual was elderly and he, he didn't have the means to take care of it. And uh, I felt as if someone needed to be responsible. So I, I took him up on his offer, uh, not thinking of the Green Burial Movement per se, but, but thinking about, you know, what that place meant to me and my family. And doing right by the individuals who were interred there. So that's kind of how I got introduced uh, to being a cemetery owner. It was not a chosen profession. It was kind of one that chose me. Yeah, I love that. It was sort of bestowed on you as a gift. I love that. And I find that these natural burial grounds that you are creating, they really allow families to find a place filled with life and beauty when they visit. I find that from pictures and what I've seen, there's wildlife and plant life, and they really create this peaceful and serene setting for prayer and reflection. Your New Jersey and your California cemeteries, they're very popular due to you restoring and conserving the ecological biosphere of the, na of the native species. And you're also 
kind and you're willing to assist families. Can you explain the standard process of natural burial so everyone knows what we're talking about? Okay, well, I mean, natural burial uh, really has obviously existed since the inception of time, basically. I mean, it's basically going back to the earth, kind of how we've come from it, you know, dust to dust. It means to uh, to not embalm a body with, uh, you know, with toxic embalming fluids, uh, to not have a body in a concrete vault, uh, to bury someone in a biodegradable burial shroud or pine box. Uh, typically, you would use a what is called a natural field stone or some sort of uh, natural boulder or rock as a monument, uh, not to be polished or set in concrete, but to be painted or engraved, or even planting a tree, you know, in memory of someone. Uh, so it really takes us back to basics uh, of what we had always done up until kind of modern day. Uh, but it also has many other things that it offers. Uh, it offers the families the ability to be part of the process and to participate, uh, which is kind of not the norm in traditional funeral practice, uh, to be able to empower these families and allow them to be part of the process, carry their loved one to the gravesite, place them on it, lower them down, run the, uh, the gamut of emotion from happiness to sadness to anger. Uh, it is extremely cathartic uh, and healing. So natural burial, in so many ways, not only heals and fosters life with the earth and with the living, but heals uh, so many wounds. So what I always tell people is who would not want to be surrounded by life and death? Uh, it just so happens to, to be the final statement in the ones interred there and how they chose to live their life. So it's, it's really something special. I totally wholeheartedly agree, and I love the fact that you really wanted to bring that to North Portland, a place where that doesn't exist. So when you rolled into the gates of historic Columbian Cemetery, what were your feelings about the cemetery when you first drove in, and how was the vision of your cemetery, how have you really made that come alive? Well, the way I looked at historic Columbian was that it was an absolute uh, gem, essentially hidden in a very industrial area. Uh, you know, historically, it is one of the oldest cemeteries in Portland. Uh, it has so much to offer to the community, the surrounding community. And at one time, you know, it was not surrounded by the industry, but was surrounded by farmland and all the things that existed back in 1857 when someone, you know, looked at this beautiful place and said, let's make this into a final resting place for, you know, for the re residents of, of Portland. So when I went in, you know, I looked at the natural beauty that it had to offer, the, uh, the magnificent trees. Uh, you know, it's almost like an arboretum. Uh, and then also the potential to teach people a new way in an urban, modern, industrial type of setting, meaning that even though it's surrounded by, you know, it has a, a, a very large warehouse in the back, there can be so much beauty that could be attained by that. So, uh I, I can go further into the vision as we go along of, of a new model of what we want to present to the communities across the country as far as natural berries is concerned. But Historic Columbian just checked all the boxes because we had this beautiful green space lying there waiting to be utilized by the living. And that gave us the inspiration to say, let's come in here and provide, you know, this vision 
so the community can embrace it and actually be on the cutting edge of, of something as old as time, but essentially new again. I have many families who use that cemetery, and when they drive in there, it's always shocking to me that they say, oh my gosh, why would they build a cemetery right by the overpass there of I-5? And I have to stop and think, well, you know, the cemetery was founded in 1857. Pretty good chance loved ones were having their loved ones buried there, and then the mass construction and all all came about. It's been there for a long time, and it really is such a gem, like you said. It's one of the oldest cemeteries in Portland. It's a bird sanctuary. It's a natural arboretum. Explain those roses that are there. Well, the roses are heritage roses from from uh, Portland, and a lot of the families that had taken care of the cemetery itself and the nonprofit group prior to me, you know, they really wanted to be sure that you know, it was a great representation of Portland itself and, and what it had to offer and the history of Portland. Of course, you know, the city of, of roses, I mean, it was a great, a great representation, and, and we want to continue that, you know. As we go along, we want to continue to beautify and, and put in uh, rose gardens and all the kinds of things that, that the living uh, can come and appreciate. Uh, so, you know, I really have to send a, a very huge thank thank you out to the people prior to us who were able to make this possible. Uh, if it had not been for their hard work and their love for the place, you know, we wouldn't be there to be able to offer these new services to the community. So the Roses were all part of that, you know. I mean, they, they really felt strongly, and uh, they did a really wonderful job. Now, you and your wife, Helena, you have actually found the pin iron, the wrought iron fence, and have taken mallets and kind of position that back into where it was and painted it and have that surrounding the new green garden, correct? Well, absolutely. Uh, Part of the vision of what we want to do at Columbian is we want to make it an active green space, meaning to invite the community to come there on a daily basis, even if you don't have loved ones interred there, to appreciate the grounds for what they have to offer. You know, not only the natural beauty, but the serenity and the history of Portland and also the ability to have a natural burial in an urban setting. So what we did was we took uh, an undeveloped portion of the cemetery in the back, and like you said, we reclaimed the original fence, which was torn and tattered and and in many pieces all around the cemetery itself. And we said, you know what, how fitting would this be to have that be the entrance to the actual new natural burial ground? And one of the exciting projects that I'd like to mention to to the listeners here is that along with all the things that we're doing that would typically go along with the cemetery, uh, we have uh, a vision of creating a, a walking mural along the, the warehouse wall that borders the Green Garden. And what we wanted to do is kind of be like a time capsule or, or like a walking uh, view of Portland from its inception to modern day and have the community involved with that and and also make it, you know, one of those top ten must-sees when people come to Portland. I mean, it's going to be quite impressive. Uh, we're going to start it this spring, and, and it's about 40 feet high and, and runs about 700 feet long. So what a canvas and what an opportunity for the, uh, the community and the artists of Portland to be involved. So we're very excited about that. Yeah, I'm tingling as you talk about that. That sounds amazing. And the canvas for 
the city and the artist who actually gets to paint their brush strokes on that and represent where we are, but also in such a fantastic cemetery. That's amazing to me. Do you have any idea of when this is going to be taking place? Yeah, I would like to start it this upcoming spring. I mean, uh, I have an artist friend of mine who was actually going to uh, take a little road trip across country from the state of New Jersey, and he's going to kick this off. And uh, with him starting it up, I'd like to get uh, local artisans involved throughout the city. And anyone listening, you know, that may know some muralists or people who might want to take part in this really one-of-a-kind project, you know, please, uh, you know, come forward and, and, and let us know who you are, and, and we'll try to get you involved. We are already working with somebody locally, uh, a gentleman named Max Collins, who's involved with the, uh, with the art community in Portland, and, and Max is uh, kind of our resident uh, artist, and, uh, you know, he's going to be the guy who uh, kind of gets people motivated and, and, you know, says, okay, here we go, and let's go from that point to that point. And so, yeah, we, we hope to start it off this spring. A call to action. I love it. I also have a call to action. I think people should get in their cars and go visit or take the Max or get in the bus. I think the cemetery is so cool for one reason is the not only just the green garden and everything you're talking about, but the really, really unique headstones. Um, I think my favorite is the toss-up between the little gnome in the window inside the concrete and that little boy named David who has his name spelled out with the colorful marbles. When you walk around the grounds, do you have any favorites you want to mention? You know what? I think you've actually hit the ones that I really, really particularly are fond of as well, and I'll tell you why. What gives Colombians so much personality is that over the years, people have had the ability to create their own monuments and to be part of that process, which is, I think is very unique. So you'll, you'll find beautifully sculpted granite stones that are enormous, and you'll find the very modest uh, concrete marker that someone made at home. And what a better way, and, and how could it be any more fitting than someone would lovingly create that for their loved one? Because it's not about the money, and it's not about the appearance. It's about the love that went into that. So I, I really, I mean, there's countless, countless markers there, and it's intriguing, and people, like we just said, would love to walk around. And, and, and then also the history. I mean, there's so many pioneers of, of, you know, Portland that are buried there. You know, but actually, when I say pioneers, they came on the wagon trains, and their stones talk about that. So it's really, really cool walk through time. Absolutely. I also want to mention for anyone listening that has loved ones at the cemetery, even though there is a green area, of course, the loved ones who are buried there are not disturbed. You also have spaces, I believe, at the cemetery that people can come in and buy that are standard burials if someone is not interested in green. But as far as the green garden, it's fully developed and it's ready to receive deceased loved ones into the gentle embrace of the earth. Can you share with everyone, how is a green cemetery maintained, and how will that be cared to in perpetuity? Sure, absolutely. Uh, now, of course, there's different versions of natural burial grounds or green cemeteries, and, and Colombian is what's called a hybrid cemetery, which you touched on a little bit, meaning that we allow uh, you know, what would be considered, I suppose, traditional burial with with uh, concrete vaults or whatever the family may want, and cremation plots, and then we have the natural burial section. Uh, you know, and we believe very much in, you know, the right of choice, and uh, that's why the hybrid model is so important across this country, 
But uh, so to touch on the maintenance itself, what we do is we take uh, 30% of all plot sales and we place that in our preservation and maintenance fund. And there's a reason for that because uh, the state mandates, I, I want to say 15%. Uh, I, I hope I'm correct in saying that. It's either 10 or 15, but I'm pretty sure it's 15% in an endowment care cemetery. Uh, we, we are a non-endowment care cemetery, but we've created our own endowment care uh, fund, and we, we've made the commitment of putting 30% in that because you really need to plan for the future. You know, you, just like Steelmantown, when I found Steelmantown in disarray, it was because no one had planned for the future. So... So with those funds, you know, you can make capital improvements and you can mow the grass and you can do all those things that need to be done. Now, to touch a little bit on the vision of what we would like to do there, we would not really like to have to have it on a, ma- a major mowing schedule in the sense that we would like to be able to take the green garden and allow that to grow into a natural meadow area with, with wildflowers and, and, you know, almost like a butterfly garden in a sense, you know, so that the so. So not only is it low maintenance, but it's a thing of beauty. And then once a year, you know, in the winter months, we would mow that down to spread the seeds and allow it to come up. Now, I would like to introduce that over time, possibly in some of the historic areas of the cemetery as well, because that's not a thing of disrespect. It's actually a thing of practicality. Uh, We can make those areas just as absolutely beautiful as the Green Garden and bring the living to those areas that maybe no living know the individuals that are actually interred in that spot, but can appreciate the beauty and learn a little bit about the people who are interred there and then do the same thing, mow that down once a year. Uh, so it's really thinking outside of the box, literally. Uh, and it's, it's really a great way for us to be uh, environmentally conscious and, and realize the beauty in, in the natural landscape. You know, Indian grasses and, and wildflowers and, you know, who could ask for anything more? So, um, it, you know, I really encourage people to come out and visit not only now, but, you know, now is a great time because you'll see it in a completely manicured state, per se, and come out in, the, in midsummer, you know, and, and take a look and say, wow, look, look what they've done here and look how that's transformed into that, into that green space that he mentioned on the radio show. So you also wear the esteemed hat. I don't know if it's a green hat or not, but it's esteemed hat of president of Green Burial Council. And this is a third-party nonprofit. It certifies green burial practitioners and products. The Green Burial Council, it's developed a rating system for green burial grounds. And this divides the types of green burial locations into three categories. Can you take us through those? Sure, absolutely. Uh, We have three different types of cemeteries. Uh, There is the Conservation Cemetery which, uh, you know, there's a lot of in, uh, environmental reports that go along with that, you know, to be sure that you're, you're doing things sustainably and doing things that are the best interest of the environment. But also uh, deed restrictions, uh, not allowing things like concrete vaults, uh, polished monuments, embalmed bodies, biodegradable burial containers. Uh, and a conservation burial ground is run by a conservation agency or a state agency. So uh, that would be something that maybe, you know, in, in uh, Oregon sometime in the future, maybe a state park might say to themselves, we've got this beautiful spot, we'd like to create some new revenue to maintain, you know, the park system, and maybe they could have a conservation burial ground with a trail system that would allow people to, to walk out into the forest and, and actually allow burial out among the trees. 
Then the second type is called natural burial ground, and that's basically the same exact model as a conservation burial ground, but it may be owned by a nonprofit organization or a private individual or a cemetery company itself. That is what my uh, cemetery, Steelmantown, and Parisima are. They are natural burial grounds, so they offer woodland burial and among the trees and trail systems. And then the third would be uh, the hybrid model. And this is what's really interesting, is that the hybrid model, of course, you know, allows both types of burial. It allows a traditional or, or a green burial. Uh, but the beauty of the hybrid is that this is how we introduce the country now, actively, across every boundary. Today, we can do it because any cemetery can allow natural burial in every state of this, of this country, and they can also create a small section, whether it be one acre or ten acres. There's no limit to it, but they can participate in this movement. They can do it today, and that's what we're trying to, to foster because we realize that's how we're going to educate the masses. Conservation burial grounds and natural burial grounds are absolutely beautiful, but it's not feasible everywhere, and it's not going to happen overnight. But we can make this happen overnight with a hybrid model. So the hybrid model is like every cemetery that exists basically, you know, in Portland that's not a conservation or natural. If they decided that they wanted to become certified by the Green Burial Council, they would have to dedicate a certain space in their cemetery and deed restrict that to only allow natural burial with the same restrictions as the other cemeteries, just not the environmental restrictions, and they can be part of it. So, you know, we feel very strongly that everyone needs to be invited at their own level and their own comfort level. So uh, those are, that's the three best ways to represent the natural, uh, the Green Burial Council standards concerning cemeteries. There are so many churches who are really getting into the hold of this. And I've been doing research and finding out that they use a similar method for distinguishing the different natural burials inside different places. For instance, they have a method of green colors. What I'm learning is light green is for those who prefer a biodegradable casket, some type of memorialization, memorialization, and natural embalming fluids. The medium green is for those who prefer a biodegradable casket with memorialization and a nearby boulder to actually have it marked. And then the dark green is for those who prefer a simple shroud. I really love this because it just makes me you know, feel over and over again that green burial is really in the zeitgeist if the churches are making up their own green burial lingo. What do you think about that? Oh, I absolutely agree. And what I will tell you about that, too, is that, you know, uh, by doing this, I've had the uh, unique opportunity uh, to probably have worked with every possible religious organization, group, uh, gender, anything, you name it. That's the beauty of natural burial. It transcends to everyone because we're all human beings. We can all appreciate what it has to offer. And, you know, uh, the Catholic Church out here in New Jersey in particular, you know, they've, they've opened up a place called Mary Rest. They've embraced the concept. I do a lot with the Jewish faith, the Muslim faith. faith. I mean, it, it knows no boundaries. And the one thing that I would like to make point of when I say that is that what makes it so absolutely special, and everyone, you know, if you're ever fortunate enough, and that's probably one of the craziest things you'll ever hear somebody say, to attend... <laughs> 
a funeral because nobody wants to attend a funeral, obviously. But if you're lucky enough to attend a natural burial, the light bulb will go off in your head and you'll understand exactly what it, you know, what it means. Like whatever your level of green living means to you, that's perfectly fine. But when you see how empowering the actual process is and to be part of that, to be able to, to care for your loved one in that way, as if like, they, you, know, like you care for them in life, you're care, caring for them in death, to be able to lower them down, to, to not have a clock running, meaning that you do it on your own time, to backfill that grave, to leave with a smile on your face and a genuine thank you because you've created a memorable experience of a funeral, that's amazing, and I'll tell you why. I tell all my families this. Please remember that a funeral is for the living. You're there to celebrate that individual's life and how they lived it. Death is not the defining moment of that person's life. A lot of people get hung up on their death, and of course, it's, you know, you're grief-stricken, and I totally understand that. But to celebrate that life in that way will give you a different perspective, and it makes death a lot less scary. And, uh, you know, there's nothing like it. So I just wanted to be able to convey that message because I think it's very important. Absolutely. Absolutely. We have a couple minutes left, and I wanted to share a story. Um, My funeral home, Cornerstone Out in Boring, had the honor of assisting the first loved one into the Green Garden at Historic Columbian Cemetery. And I wanted to describe the service so people have kind of an idea of what this looks like and what this feels like. There is a man who is wrapped in a shroud, and he was carried by the closest people in his life. Um, They walked with him and talked with him as they were carrying him out to the resting place. When he got to the open grave, they placed him gently on the lowering device while some words were spoken and some poems were read. The family all got out their cup and poured some liquid in to share their toasts. And then when the wife felt ready... He was slowly lowered into his new earthen resting place. And that day really illuminated the biblical phrasing of ashes to ashes and dust to dust. Uh, For dust thou art, and into dust thou return. His body was composed of dust and was of the earth and should be reduced to that again by death, which is not an annihilation of man, but a bringing him back to the original place. And I know, Ed, you probably have similar stories to share. Just in one minute, can you give us the uh, green barrel you've attended and what that felt and looked like? Well, absolutely. I think probably the most moving natural burial I ever attended was the very first one we had done. And I'll tell you why. Because, you know, we weren't cemeterians and we weren't trained in the business. We did everything we did because it felt right. And when it came time to digging that grave, uh, my, my masons, I'm a developer, my masons dug the grave. I said, guys, you want to dig a grave? And they said, well, sure, let's do it. Uh, but the reason I mention this is that this individual who came to me, they, did, they were not familiar with this place. And they had no uh, affiliation with it. Uh, they were from very far away, but they had a belief that this is what they wanted. And we were able to give this to them. And as that unfolded, we had no idea, really, what we were doing in the sense that we just said, okay, you can carry them there. And, you know, we did everything that seems practical. And as that funeral actually uh, unfolded and I watched those people participate and I saw the emotion that it invoked and I looked at my, my grave diggers who had never met this individual and they had tears coming down their cheeks for, an, for a person they had never met in their lives because it was so moving. 
that's when the light bulb went off in my head, and that's when we realized we had captured magic in the sense that, wow, you didn't have to overthink this. It's as simple as that. You know, empower your families, get them involved, and that's what changed the game for me. And uh, I feel like anyone who would ever attend one of these, just like you said, Elizabeth, with the wonderful work that Cornerstone does, they will capture the magic as well. They will come there not understanding or knowing where they're at and why they're there, and they'll leave and they'll say, wow, it should all be like this. So that's my, my probably my most memorable funeral that I've been to. Mm, you've left us all with a just a beautiful vision. You've been listening to KKPZ, 1330 AM, The Truth. Thank you to my guest, Ed Bixby. And until we meet again next week, be excellent to each other. <laughs>